Sports fans of the Rio Grande Valley, welcome to episode 5 of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva. Joining me this week out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Nate Cotiso. He is a sports journalist with knowledge of the Rio Grande Valley sports spectrum. Don't forget to follow us on our other social media platforms such as Facebook forward slash South Texas Border Sports on Twitter SOTX Athletics A-T-H-L-E-T-I-X and on Instagram at South Texas Border Sports. Don't forget, every week we'll be hosting podcasts here on Anchor FM. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining me from the lovely city of Houston, Texas, joining me today is Nate Cotiso. Nate, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us today. Ray, it's, it's good to hear your voice. It's good to be here. Um, you said I was in the city of Houston. Um, I, I got to correct you on that one. I am not in Houston currently. Uh, I, I got a job. Um, Outside of Houston, outside of Texas, um, I, I am a. That's right. You're taking it back a little bit. For, for those who, those of you who are listening to the show and can't see, you know, Ray reacting the way that he did, he literally was taken aback. Um, I come to you from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Well played, young man. Well played. That's right. That's Oklahoma right. City, Oklahoma. What? takes you there now what takes me to okay see man I, I got a job here that's what that's pretty much what took me here um last year after i left the monitor um at the end of at the end of april came back home to houston just trying to you know figure things out and um i wanted to get a job and obviously i wanted to get a job in journalism but i wanted to get a job in television and so um i've been freelancing uh this past fall with uh, with the Houston Chronicle, doing some high school football work with them. That was a lot of fun. But um, uh, late January, um, I got an offer to do uh, digital producing for KWTV Channel 9 here in Oklahoma City. And that's what I've been doing here for the past four, I guess we're at four months now. But time doesn't really matter in the age of COVID-19. Yeah, um, but that's, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing these last uh, handful of months. Wow! Congratulations oh, on the move, young man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. So, uh, getting into the sports uh, sports world, I mean, we were just talking a little bit off the air on the impact that Roy has ha- had on you as a journalist. Um, you were mentioning about him being the super utility player. Wherever he was needed, he covered. Uh, can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, and you know his the context of Roy Hess's career as a as a sports writer, as a sports reporter in the Rio Grande Valley, you know, outdates the number of years I've existed on this planet, right? Um, but what I do know of him is that he was a former sports editor at my old newspaper, uh, the Monitor, uh, over there in McAllen, and. Um, when I was there for two years, he covered volleyball over at the Brownsville Herald, sort of in a part-time-ish role. I think he also did uh, soccer for, the, for that uh, publication as well. Um, but, you know, he was someone who was always easy to work with for me. Um, whenever we needed something, uh, whenever, you know, we needed something in the pinch, whenever we needed to figure something out, um, he was always available and he was always, you know, able to essentially drop everything and focus on whatever uh, we needed to focus on. Um, I don't have any face-to-face interactions with him or I haven't had the opportunity to, um, but, you know, he clearly had an impact on so many people. And even though I was, you know, how long is it from, how, how many miles between Brownsville and and McAllen, probably about, about 60, 70, about 60 miles. We were 60 miles apart, but um, I'll definitely remember 
just how easy he was to work with. And, you know, I said super utility. I, I mean, he, to me, he's the Craig Biggio. I mean, Craig Biggio is obviously a Hall of Famer. Roy Hess is, a, is an RGV Sports Hall of Famer. Uh, but he was, wherever he needed to go, wherever he was asked to go, he was willing to do. And there aren't a lot of those people in journalism that are willing to check their ego at the door or just in life in general. So, you know, I know the Valley is really, I know the Valley sports community is really hurting because, uh, you know, Roy Hess isn't, uh, you know, we're not going to see any more Roy Hess uh, bylines anymore. Mm-hmm. And now, speaking of the Valley and some of the troubles that have been going on recently uh, with society in general, do you ever experience mm-hmm. a- anything down here like that? Um, with all the uh, stuff going on right now? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, gone into a practice mm-hmm. um, and I'd be walking by some kids and, you know, you'd hear the N-word. Um, oh, my. And, you know, the other thing is whether I've been called it or, you know, just happen to hear a conversation where people are saying it. Um, I've been, as, as far as the police is concerned, and I, I don't know if this is funny or not, but mm-hmm. uh, I've been pulled over more times either going to the valley or in the valley than I ever have been in my entire life. Okay. Uh, you know, for those who don't know, I, I grew up in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty diverse, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that diversity shields you from, you know, any particular run-ins with police. Um, I was very fortunate um, that I didn't have a serious confrontation or anything like that. Um, but I got very familiar with uh, DPS troopers uh, down in the Valley. And, you know, it was, uh, that's probably the, you know, if there's one thing about the Valley I don't miss, I don't miss that. Of course, I saw this video of this guy wielding a chainsaw, you know, down uh, in downtown McAllen over the weekend. And thank God they arrested him. But I think the way that video went viral um, is is interesting because it's I think a lot of people who aren't in the valley or who might not even uh, know of the valley, who who maybe not even heard of the valley or might live in another, another state or maybe they live in El Paso, maybe not El Paso. Maybe they live in Dallas and they don't have a context, but um, the Rio Grande Valley is just as American as the rest of the country. It really is. It's, it's just as, you know, the, you know, the racism that people experience down there is just as rampant. Um, I think that, I think whether you're Hispanic or Latino, I think that's, it's definitely there. Um, and I think when you're like me and you're you're in a city or you're in a you're in an area where um, I think I think when I moved to McAllen, I think I looked at the census numbers and there was like a thousand black people in McAllen total mm-hmm. out of like one hundred and thirty thousand, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really had to I, I really had to understand that, you know, some areas who might some some areas like the valley are not like other areas in terms of how racism is is portrayed how it's how it plays out kind of thing mm-hmm. um because i think it's especially different when it's an area that is a majority minority than other places that mm-hmm. might be more you know white majority mm understood and now just shifting topics now jumping into the sports world uh major league baseball you know i mean you're wearing a houston astros hat right now Mm -hmm. being your favorite team what do you make of this latest proposal that uh players union made to the league you know where we have a 76 game plan 75 percent pay and pro and prorated a playoff pool money per se look i i think that it's as it's as good as they're gonna get and and i'm glad that they they wanted something uh like this at least to make it somewhat proportional because you're losing about three quarters well really it's about roughly a quarter times two is 152 so that's 
roughly half. It's mm-hmm. roughly half of a of a normal, you know, regular season schedule. But you know, at the same time, you know, you you want it to be as proportional as possible. And I think it's good on the players that they're you know they're able to make some concessions based on other proposals that you know you know the say the owners have have offered in the past you know handful of weeks. Um, but I also think that you know the players need to stand up for themselves, and I'm glad that they are. You know, it's it's a line in the sand, and I'm glad that you know they're saying, you know what, we'll make a concession, but we're not taking our foot off the gas completely. And I think that when you also consider that you know most of most major league players aren't, you know, they're not making necessarily stratosphere money. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them might be. You know, a lot of them might be, but you know, there are a lot more on the bottom end of the totem pole. And that's why that 75% is going to mean so much more, you know, to the, to the folks who might not be, not, who might not be making as much than it will to some folks who might be working and they might be your Max Scherzers. It might be your Justin Verlanders, uh, your Mike Trouts of the world, because that 75% is going to mean more to the folks at the bottom than it will at the top. So I'm glad they made that proposal. Yeah, I mean, what I see coming out of all this, let's just say everything gets accepted. You're going to see a lot of your younger stars like your Cavad Vigios, your Black Guerrero Juniors, your Ozzy Albies, your um, Ronald Acuna Juniors. You had to throw playing. those Braves players in there, huh? Yeah, kind of have to. And, you know, got to throw the son of the legend in there. Since <laughs> you did bring up the pop-up and, and uh, Craig Vigio. Cavad Vigio in there. But I, I kind of see a lot of the – the younger good generational players that are coming up right now playing in a lot of these winter leagues like your Venezuela, your Dominican, your Puerto Rican, even in the Mexico. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of these players uh, for make up a lot of that ground playing winter league ball. So that way when the next season comes around, They'll be in, in plenty good shape. And 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 I see a lot of these good players actually playing in the Arizona Fall League if there's one, and then eventually continue to spread out in the uh, other Latin American countries. I don't know what your take on that is. Yeah, I think it's it's a good way to obviously stay fresh. But, you know, for, for me, I think I'm, I'm, I'm always someone who's like, you know, if you can get some rest, get it um, and take advantage of it. Um, cause I, I understand working on your game and, you know, wanting to be the best and wanting to be great. And all of those are great, but I think it's, I mean, it's not so much a monetary issue with, you know, whether or not they play fall league or winter league baseball. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, to keep, it's just to get the conditioning that, that they did not have for during that 162, uh, time frame. I mean, yeah. you're, you're just trying to, uh, you know, catch up with the framework that you might've had been going through right now without COVID as compared to with COVID trying to make up a lot of, a lot of the time that's been lost and now trying to be uh, made up at the, at this point. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's, it's, this is the, this is our reality now. Well, this is their reality. Um, And I, I, whatever, I'm more inclined to support whatever the players do. I'm, I'm more inclined because they, they provide the entertainment. They're, they're, they're the ones who work tirelessly on their craft, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm more inclined to fall inside on one of the player, whatever the players want. Cause I'm, you know, as, as proactive as an owner, as let's say Jim Crane or um, whoever's running the, I guess the Henry's who are running the, the Red Sox. Um, I'm not there to see them. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not putting on a jersey. They're not going to swing a bat. They're not going to take any hacks in the on air, uh, on the, uh, in the on-deck circle. And I doubt they very much can hit major league pitching. So um, the players need to do what they need to do to take care of themselves, and I'm 100% there with them. Understood. And now jumping, jumping over to the NBA, what do you think about everyone be, uh, playing in Orlando? Good, good call, bad call? I think it's an interesting call, and – I think what was more interesting to me was how near unanimous the the governors are. We're not since they're not owners anymore. We're calling them the board of governors. It was interesting to me how there was only one dissenting voice, and that was Portland, right? Um, 
I think the plan is interesting, but I'm the thing that I wonder about logistic wise, as much as I want the NBA back desperately, um, when you're talking about having a bunch of people at this resort, sometimes things will sneak up on you. You don't even know why. Autoplay on websites are the worst. So as I was saying, when you have a bunch of people in a closed space, um, while it, you, can, you can say, well, look, it's going to be as sanitary as possible for the players involved, the coaches to sit on the bench. I worry about you know, the workers at the resort who have to go in and clean up after certain teams and clean the areas, and they're going to be exposed to the, the greatest amount of humanity possible. And they're going to be super, super at risk to catch anything if they catch anything. So my thing is, if they are the ones who are going to get the, the workers at the Walt Disney World Resort are going to be the ones who are um, keeping everything clean. Uh, and they are, and if they're the most at risk, then um, I, 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 I want everything to go off without a hitch. I want everything to, you know, everybody to be safe and everything like that. But um they're going to be in very precarious situations more often than not working crazy amounts of hours. And what does that mean? That means their, their immune systems might be, you know, weakened over time. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I want basketball, but not at the risk of human life. You know what I mean? Uh, I kind of agree that it is an interesting scenario, but this is the way I would have played it out. Yeah. Or- Orlando being one site and I'll take, Las Vegas, have your East Eastern Conference playoffs be in Orlando, Western Conference be in Las Vegas because you have a boatload of teams fighting their, fighting the eighth spot. And Las Vegas has proven in the past with the G League that you can hold multiple events in Las Vegas uh, without having uh, much uh, public access to figure out who's going to be that eighth team. Once you figured out that a team, you have your playoffs and whatnot. And then I would probably bring the finals to Texas regardless because Texas is one of those states where play has opened up. And I'd either figure San Antonio, Houston, or Dallas being one of the three possible uh, um, teams that can host just due to the fact that, hey, we want to see, pu- see a little bit of public, you know, and have the finals in Texas, whether it's Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, that's the way I would probably uh, like play it in. I, I like the Las Vegas idea for sure, because it not only gives you a, you know, Western conference, Eastern conference vibe that, you know, that's a semblance of normalcy, but, but also that if you're like, like you said, if there aren't as many people in, instead of going one resort in Orlando with, 22 teams mm-hmm. um, you split it up a little bit more and not as many people could be um, exposed to anything. So I like that idea. Um, as far as, you know, as far as the finals being in Texas, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I think that it's an interesting idea and I know San Antonio or Houston and Dallas would sort of serve as a midpoint, you know, between Vegas and, uh, uh, and Orlando. Um, but I think at the same time, I think the finals need to be in either Las Vegas or Orlando. I, I don't, because I, I know Texas has sort of, you know, relaxed their um, their rules on, uh, you know, certain venues that can open. But I think at the same time, uh, the possibility of possibly having a finals in another city and possibly exposing another, you know, group of people. You know, I, that's too risky to, for me. And I think for, I don't know if you noticed this, that I'm very hesitant on all this stuff, on doing the whole sports thing again. I'm, I'm very hesitant on it. I'm guessing, I guess I'm kind of okay with NASCAR doing it because, I mean, there's there's not much contact there. I mean, the drivers are going to be driving more or less. And um, the only time there's really a, a congregation of people together is when whenever they make a pit stop or, you know, when they just – you know, when they celebrate victory lane, if that. So, um, so NASCAR, I kind of understand why they, why they were able to come back a little bit sooner without fans in the stands as well. I just think that for, for the NBA and, and other sports where there isn't so much 
distancing, I just think you got to be even more careful. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to have an NFL season or a college football season this fall. I seriously doubt we will. Because, you know, you know, up here living in Oklahoma, I don't know if you heard this, but a few weeks ago, uh, Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy, you know, went on this conference call and, and he said, well, you know, these kids are really, really young and, you know, they're 18, 20, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old guys. And, um, you know, they're, they're young and they're viral and we can test them every day and, you know, we won't have a problem because we have to run money through the state of Oklahoma, um, which I'm glad he said that because it's something we were all thinking, but I'm just glad that he's like admitting it kind of thing. And of course he walked it back, walked those, walked those comments back. But um, just this past week, they, they started football practice at OSU and three players tested positive for, the, for COVID-19. Yeah, kind of like like it down here, like UIL opened up restrictions and today is like the first day of practice for like everyone who's involved in any UIL extracurricular activities outdoors, like say your footballs, your marching bands and even volleyball and even some, uh, some basketball had uh, some uh, quote unquote summer workouts. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be quite interesting to uh to take that uh, turn of discussion to see how everything is going to get impacted. Yeah, and what what's sort of ironic is the bigger state school here, obviously, is OU, and Lincoln Riley is, you know, he was initially one of those guys that was like, we need to be back, sense of normalcy, all that stuff, but he's kind of changed his tune a little bit, and he's kind of wanted to take things a little bit more slowly, which I appreciate because – you don't want to jump any jump into anything too quickly, uh, because while you know cases might be, you know, there might not be as frequent as as perhaps they used to be. Um, there's still a lot about this virus we do not know. A mm-hmm. vaccine is still, as the experts have said, many 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 months away. So when we start to come together and you know, you think about an 11-man 11 11-man 11 huddle or even like a, you know, five or six offensive linemen, 5-0 linemen in a tight end with a quarterback, you know, right behind center. And then D linemen who are staring, you know, right at these, you know, O linemen. It's like it's a lot of people. That's a lot of people getting really, really close to each other. And there's going to be 120 of those kinds of plays over a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour span. It's risky out here, is what I'm saying. It's really, really risky. And, uh, you you know, one of the things that that does come up to my attention were, you know, how the recent protesting have been uh, been happening. So have Mm -hmm. the COVID numbers, you know. They've been spiking up, especially down here in the the valley. And it it was a scary thought because just yet – just the weekend alone, it brought up like over 50 positive uh, uh, positive testing. It's been like the biggest number that they've had since early April. So t- take that into consideration as well. Like how carefully are you guys wanting to bring this back now? And I understand it's, you know, a lot of these coaches and, you know, assistant coaches, their livelihood and everything. Um, but, you know, I think that's what – I think that's what coaches need to, they need to reconcile right now. Is it the itch to get back on the field more important than the health of your players? I think that that question needs to be asked and and hopefully the answer is no. (laughs) Um, But I think the first step is of course, asking yourself that question. Is Mm -hmm. it worth it? Exactly. Is it worth it? And, you know, one of the things that we've been, that we've been watching, or one of the things that I've been watching uh, closely is, has been the Bundesliga, the soccer. How do you feel about them coming back? You know, um, they seem to be doing it right. Because, again, it's a, it, that is a big field. I mean, just soccer in general, it's a big field. And I know the USL has, I think they announced something uh, the other July day. July 11th. Uh, yeah, July 11th about coming back. Cause you know we we got a USL team here in OKC and in yeah, Boston. yeah. Uh, I know so. a few of the players from from both sides. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, uh huh. The I can't remember the I can't remember what OKC's team is. 
Yeah, the energy. They're the energy, and Tulsa is something else. Uh, they're just FC Tulsa. <laughs> Tulsa, yeah, great. We're, we're real original. Uh, hey, but, but you uh, know, I'll, I'll give I'll give them credit for this much. They have a nice crest, okay? And and I know a couple of the uh, Tulsa players. No, that is that is true. That is true. Tulsa is a nice little area, by the way. Yeah. Um, but I think that in soccer, it's something that you can. There, there's enough space, and especially when you know guys are scoring goals, and the celebrations are like at a respectful distance. That's mm-hmm. really cool. It's funny, obviously, because they're aware that they, you know, they're still aware that they they need to keep their distance, but. You know, I think soccer, like NASCAR, is one of those sports that maybe you can get a you, you can do it with, perhaps tennis and golf. I know golf is going to start up, I think, again this weekend, this yeah. coming weekend. I think you know, as far as team sports are concerned, soccer is probably the one that you can get away with it the most, and more the individual sports like tennis and golf, and, and obviously, um, obviously, racing is something that. You can really keep the people, you know, at the facility or on a facility as the number can be as few as possible. Mm-hmm. I think is a really was a really really good thing. Of course, in golf, I mean, no patrons or fans. Or, yeah. I guess, and yeah. I know the Augusta National calls them patrons. They're oh. patrons. They're not. They're not fans. They are patrons. Patrons. They're patrons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just I don't I don't think we're ready for crowds yet. Is what I'm, uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I I know I know I was asked to participate in a, in a survey to do a couple uh, couple of surveys for both Bird Ogden Arena and HB Park. Like, hey, if we come back and have some people, well, what would you like to see? I go well, ah. Uh, as a freelancer, I would like to see uh, staff uh, have their mask. Uh, obviously, when freelance media or media go in, yes, check our equipment. Uh, I don't mind wearing the mask. Um, and if there's crowd, there's crowd, you know. I mean, I certainly won't mind it because it, it certainly gives the game a, a different vibration. But do I feel like fully like 100% absolutely not but it, it they're like taking all the necessary steps in the right direction to try to bring things back to normal I'm glad you mentioned Bird Ogden Arena um, I think I saw something the other day that UTRGV they're going to start playing games there is that do I have yeah. that right yes that is correct uh, three games okay uh, a double header versus A&M Corpus Christi well, it would be the women's game first at 5 p.m. and then the men's game at 7. And then you would have uh, New Mexico State, which they think they're bigger than everyone else in the conference. I guess, yeah. yeah. And those are the only three games that have been mentioned, but I would love to see Oklahoma come back down. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what? I, I forgot. Oklahoma was <laughs> – I forgot Oklahoma came down to the valley for that, and uh, and we were there. Oh my god! Yeah, that I, that was such a cool game to be a part of. I'll I'll, I'll never forget that game. Uh, having that post game talk with Lon Kruger. Man, you want to talk about one of the ni- one of the nicest people? Yes, just, just one of the nicest people, just down to earth, and man, what a goat! What a goat! And he's good at his job. Ugh. Yeah. I, I can't. I cannot. I can. I, I don't think I can stand anymore for for Long Kruger because I, I will just. I'll just sing his praises forever. Yeah. I mean, who? I think uh, I could. Show me a person who won't. You can't. Five tournament, five teams, five programs taking them all to. You know what? We don't even need to do that. We don't need yeah. to do that because because we already know. We already know. I mean, the guy's got a a. a a storied career. Anywhere he goes, he'll turn, he'll turn around the program. Yeah. I mean, hey, he managed to turn around UTPA back in the day. He managed to turn it around. So here's what I'm curious about, Ray. For okay. For someone like, for someone like you, who <laughs> you're at a lot of these games in the valley. Yeah. Whenever there's a a professional game happening, 
you're you're there and you're getting compensated for it. So what has this time been like for you? Uh, I I tell you what, it's been very, very interesting. I'm not going to lie, you know, um, especially since I do a lot of stuff for, for the university more than the pro teams, because that's where, you know, that's where like a lot of the balance shifts, uh, during the time that there wasn't any games for the university, I was asked to, uh, help them compile stats in a, uh, in a digital format because, um, let's just say that a lot of the individual stats that are seen on the website weren't seen. And I felt like very privileged enough to have helped them uh, gather a, a large database. And I'm hoping to do the same thing with volleyball, men's and women's basketball here in the near future. If I'm asked upon, I'll be like greatly honored in case uh, things start to fall southward very quickly because uh, nobody knows what's going to happen between here and August for when they're supposed to be picking up again with the fall practices for basketball, for volleyball, and even the start of soccer season. Um, I, I mean, traditionally, by this point, we would have already seen a soccer schedule, but there hasn't been one released yet. So yeah, I'm right now on very uh, interesting times. I'm on interesting times because, yes, the Toros are, are coming back, but a lot of the work that I would do for that organization, it's like more on my own type of stuff. But when it comes to Vipers, I would work either game clock or shot clock or wherever I'm needed, you know. And it's yeah. the same thing with the university. It's like where wherever I'm needed, I can pretty much uh, fill in, except for play-by-play and color analysis. Well, that's uh, that's one thing that uh, that's always interests me. But let's just say I'm like very very low on the totem pole. Yeah, uh, you know, one thing I'm ta- I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we talked got the opportunity to talk a little. Uh, UTRGV basketball because I feel like that last season I was there was kind of a banner year for both the men and the women. Exactly. Um, and I know for the men's team, uh, the men's team took a step back. Yeah, a lot of graduating seniors. But you know, what sort of the what sort of the outlook coming up for whenever the 2020-2021 season looks for well, well, men and the women? Well, this this past season they finished second in the WAC, which had never been done under Coach Hill. And everyone's coming back from Javon Levi to Jordan Jackson. And they have a lot of uh, good incoming, uh, a couple of good recruits now gonna that are going to be coming in for the men's side. And then you have the women's side, uh, which, okay, the year two under Lane Lord, okay, a, l- a little bit of a step back. But, you know, coming off a championship appearance and trying to build off of that, uh, they seem destined to make an, another run because uh, New Mexico State, the women's team, took a severe step back this season. They mm-hmm. lost a couple of key players to to injury. And now that uh, UMKC and Cal State Bakersfield are gone, I think it's going to open up the women's side a little bit more because UMKC and Bakersfield were – like right there trying to fight the one-two uh, positioning. And now that they're gone, it's going to open up a little bit more for the WAC. I mean, the WAC's going to have two new teams coming in, uh, Dixie State out of Utah and then uh, Tarleton State out of Stephenville, Texas, the Texans. Yeah, the, the, great, the great Texans. My, uh, my, um, my hometown pastor went to Tarleton State. So there's some fun trivia uh, for you. <laughs> Tarleton State, at least on the men's side, is very intriguing now based on the head coach they just hired. Yeah, Billy, Billy Connor Gillespie, yes. Billy very Clyde good. Gillespie. <laughs> Billy, Billy Cl- oh, Billy Clyde Gillespie, which is... Billy Clyde, yes. 
one of the most southern names you could ever hear in your life, and it makes me chuckle every time I hear it. Um, yeah. And then Chris Johns almost got pried away from New Mexico State to East Tennessee State. He sure did. He sure did. After uh, Steve Forbes and Steve Forbes has been killing it since he was at Duco with uh, Northwest Florida State. You know, he, he had a lot of those transfers, you know, going to high major programs. No surprise he, you know, would kill it at ETSU, and he did. And hopefully he can – I think he's at Wake now. Is that right? Correct. I, I where, hope – Where I've had a very critical friend – out there in that landscape of East Tennessee, just like, but well, not butchering, but just going after the administration as to why it took so. Why did it take over a week to try to hire a coach when you know Chris Johns had that trouble pass? But you know what? What's what's been done is done, and Chris Johns is like bu building up his steam over at New Mexico State, and he's doing it quite quite well steering out of trouble's ways you know and let's just hope that uh, billy can stay out of his own harm's way and hey maybe we might have a nice little little t tussle there it's not the the whack is going to look so much different uh especially on the men's side you know with tarleton coming in and i was very surprised to see grand canyon move on from Thunder Dan, I didn't see that coming. Nobody saw surprised. that coming. Nobody did. I, I was I was very surprised because I, I felt like here's a man who is Arizona. He, he's Arizona. Yeah. And it, it always felt like his teams were, were like a game or two away from uh, being the media darling that, you know, we would have appreciated during March Madness. Um, but they always felt a game or two short and, you know, because, you know, I think the Jerry Colangelo is a big money guy out there. I think that's probably why he decided to move on, because he felt like Thunder Dan got us to this level, but we want to get to this level. You know, we want to go, you know, a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, you know, heroes. It's, it's, you don't want to mess with that, especially when you're a super young Division One program. You know, here's the thing that I'm really, that I really liked about this year's WAC. GCU. For example, they had Thunderdad, but the assistant or the assistant coaches that he had, Marvin Menzies, former oh. New Mexico, former oh. New Mexico State coach, he was an assistant under Dunderstand, Thunderdad. Mm. Mm. Like, why wasn't he a number one choice to replace him? <laughs> that is. When was was a. Uh... Marvin was at a uh, was he at UNLV a few years yep. ago? A handful of years ago. Yep, he was at UNLV, and then and he has all the West Coast connects. He has all of them. You know, he has old school, new school. You know, West Coast connects. I don't know. I don't. I. I are they retaining him? You know, do you, do you I, know I, pro I probably him? don't think so. I th I think when they hired Bryce Drew. It's like they're bringing in a whole new slate. Yeah. Actually, you know, mm. I, you know what? I think Bryce Drew, Bryce Drew might be one of those coaches who can just really be good at the mid-major level. Because yeah. there are some coaches who are just super good at the mid-major level, and then they take the next step, and they crap out. And, and, mm -hmm. and I think oftentimes people start to think, oh, because you didn't do so well, the high major level now we can now we're just going to ignore you altogether but Bryce Drew could work at that could work at, at GCU I think but but, what, but we just associate the Drews with Indiana so much exactly. it's just hard to imagine Bryce Drew in the Valley of the Sun yeah and one of the coaches that I'm personally gonna miss and that I'm glad I got it to interview was Rod Barnes of uh Cal State Bakersfield, oh. the clutch and grab defense. Mm. I I so love that. I, I fell in love. I fell in love with that defense because they would always make those games versus UTRGV so fun. You know, you have this up and down tempo of Lou Hill, and you have mm -hmm. that nice clutch and grab defense. Well, like yes, this is my type of game to work. Also known as the 
they're not going to call every foul. Exactly. <laughs> no, Rod, Rod, man, Rod has really been – he's been – the great. another thing I love about the WAC is the coaches that they have, whether they're, you know, diamond, diamonds in the rough or they're coaches that were successful elsewhere, but maybe – WAC is the WAC is like the coach is like the conference you forget that has really good coaches. Like maybe you remember Rod Barnes when he was at Ole Miss, but he's here now, or he was at Cal State Bakersfield. Um, and now you could say the same thing at at uh, with a uh, with Bryce Drew. You remember him from Valparaiso, but he's now here sure. in the Valley of the Sun. Here he is from Valparaiso to the Valley of the Sun. It's all about the V. And. Uh, and then you also have Chris Johns, who got drunk once, and now he's here in New Mexico at the Mesilla Valley. He's a, he's in uh, he's in New Mexico State, where he's definitely the little brother. But I mean, at least you don't have to play New Mexico twice a year. Oh yeah, they still home. do that. They still do that. They they, they do still do home and home. Yeah, they do the home and home. Same thing oh. with UTEP. Oh, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah, but. I, but, but ever little, since, yeah. but ever since, uh, like Chris Johns took over, it's like he's he's been able to have like a real successful record. He's gone like uh, six and two overall against those two against those two schools in the last three years. So credit to Johns. Yeah, and it's and El Paso is a little is an underrated place to recruit. You know, it's yeah. you know they've got some players out there, and you know Rodney Terry is no. Is no uh, slouch himself. Um, yeah. I don't know Rodney personally. I've met him a few times. He's been very. I mean, he's been. He's really, really cool. Um, he's he's actually originally from Angleton, so he's he's down. He's a Houstonian-ish kind of kind of yeah. guy. You know, he was, an, he was an assistant at Texas. You know, coached at Fresno State and you know, had some good teams over there. And um, Fresno State wouldn't pay him enough, so UTEP was saying, "Hey, maybe we'll pay you a little bit more." Yeah. Now he's in El Paso. Man, the uh, the other guy who I wanted to touch upon, your your personal favorite from Houston, Johnny Jones, Texas Southern. <laughs> Johnny Jones. Uh, mm. You know, I think what's important is that you know Mike Davis stays underrated, uh, and. The job he did at Texas Southern, I, I, I just I, I just hope Johnny doesn't mess this up. Please, Johnny. We have this really good thing going where I can turn on the TV and actually watch Texas Southern basketball in the tournament. It, it's fun, and I hope to continue it. Please don't mess this up. Please. I'm, beg I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Well, hey, I mean, the guy left for Detroit Mercy, correct? He did, and, you know, that's – and I think, you know, if I may do a little commentary on that, I think he might – I think the reason he did that was not necessarily because Texas Southern isn't a good job, but I just think that the, the state of athletics at historically black colleges is just not very – it's not very good. The, the finances just aren't there, you know, not because there aren't people who don't want to donate, but, you know, a lot of these universities count on state funding and – a lot of those, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, public institution funding will go to, you know, your quote unquote, predominantly white institutions and your, your Texas Southerns are scraping the bottom of the barrel, not because they want to, but because. You know, you, you bring up a very interesting, you bring a very interesting conversation, uh, like mm. highlighting the, the HBCUs, Florida A&M moving to the SWAC. Yeah, coming, they are. coming soon. I'm gonna call my shot right here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh, Bethune Cookman. It's gonna be the last Bethune school to join. Um, you know, it just makes so much sense from a geographic standpoint because you have Florida A&M, which is uh, located in in the northern part of Florida, and then you have oh, Bethune. Yes, and then you have Bethune-Cookman, which is another 300 miles away. I think it would make perfect sense for them to to leave the MEAC to the SWAC, and you would have a nice uh, seven-team divisions w within the SWAC. 
I just think that might happen. There's yeah, the SWAC is made up of teams in the South and Southeast. And when you're in the MEAC and you got to fly up to Hampton. Well, know, Hampton left. They're or, no longer well, involved. Well they, well, they, well, they used to have to fly up to Hampton, but there's always that, like you, you said, ge- geographically, it's, it's hard to reconcile being in the MEAC and also, you know, being in the Southeast when you're not in the Mideast, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. I mean, I don't know if that, you know, the, that part of the geography, you know, mattered to them, but I think they're going to well, save a hell of a lot more well, money the, now. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be saving like over 35% compared to trying to make that flight up to Delaware, which is like far up north for Delaware yeah. State. And mm-hmm. now, I mean, I mean, look, God, God forbid this does not happen, but if Chicago State doesn't find a way to like get their act together and they're starting to i mean they've hired someone from clemson to be their ad and they've started making a whole lot of moves to try to stay afloat from division one but now just recently with them announcing that hey we might lose our baseball program they become another source of trouble and i don't want to see them lose division one status no but they become now they kind of become a little bit of a meak type thing if the whack forces them out the door. I mean, I'm not foreseeing that that might happen, but just yeah. given the indication to, that everything has been going, you know, it's just something that I just foresee kind of happening if they don't get their act together. They, they show signs of it, but this sign of like cutting our baseball out that just throws me like another white flag. Like, hey, we're here to surrender. Yeah, and I think that you know they they they, they we know this, and I think we've talked about this uh, a few times in the press yeah. box and uh, uh, and in that games and at other games. But they've had financial issues long before COVID. Joining the whack. Joining the whack, man. It, this, I mean, they. It was such a such a big thing for them to to be competing on this level to just even get their name out there as a yeah by the way we're in chicago and yes we're a division one team that um but i just feel like they're in they're kind of in quicksand that they're i i I want them to get it together as well Uh, i want them to to be a division one program because i think what's great about the WAC is um while the geography might be a little all over the place, a lot of these programs are in similar situations. That's that that I that can't be understated enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they need each other. Chicago State needs the WAC. WAC need the WAC needs Chicago State, especially when you know I've I've read about some schools even in the MAC that have had to you know cut programs, uh, cut athletic programs due to due to the coronavirus and. I'm kind of curious as to why we haven't heard anything from Chicago State. I don't know if they're trying to either soften the blow or, you know, try and do a last-second Hail Mary and, and, and save a baseball program or you know, possibly another program. Just, but I'm, I'm curious as to why just, we're kind of just kind based of on what I Just based on what I've seen these last few weeks, they had a board of trustees meeting, and apparently everything went, like, southward really quick when the baseball program was brought up because a lot of – people that were heavily invested into the baseball program started, uh, pro, uh, well, not protesting, but just stating uh, their opinions about, hey, this shouldn't be done, this should not be done. And now it's come to a point where they have to call a special meeting on the 22nd of this month to where they either ax the program or save the program because they recently released their coach, Steve Jocelyn, and that was only the beginning. And then prior to the meeting, they were supposed to hire a coach only to see a lot of players go into the transfer portal. So maybe there is something to that. Who knows? I mean, I've been talking to a couple of people with regards to it. There's even a a Save the Program Twitter page uh, out there because I've tried to, you know, I I hope that they've, that 
the baseball program does come back and and right now they're still falling short of the uh, mi minimum requirement for sports in the WAC for now. I mean, they need to add men's soccer and one other sport to to keep afloat because that was part of the conditions that were established by the WAC to stay on. It'll be a long two weeks in the Windy City, that's for sure. Oh, yes, that's for sure. Well, Nate, I appreciate the time and the efforts of uh, joining me. Continued success to you in Oklahoma City, sir. And uh, if you ever want to jump on, you just uh, let me know and we'll arrange it. Ray, thank you, man. It's it's honestly great to talk to you. As I said, it's great to talk about Valley Sports again. Because uh, I honestly, I, I try to keep uh, as many tabs as possible. I just want to give also a quick shout out to Joel Villanueva. I know he just finished up at Channel 5. Oh, yes. That, that one hurt me a little bit. A lot of people have asked me, like, hey, what went into that? I go, honestly, I don't know the guy. I just know he's a real reserved guy. He's real quiet. Yeah. And when he do, and when, and when you see him in public, he, he will talk to you. He'll, he'll help out a, a stranded person if there is one. I mean, I once saw him help an, an, a, a senior citizen uh, help load up their, the groceries on the vehicle. That's how nice of a human being he is. That's what PSJ products do, man. Yes, they do. All right, yeah. Um, I, I don't even know if you'll hear this, but um, I know I, I DM'd him after he made his announcement and expressed how I feel, but I just wanted to acknowledge that, you know, what was it, 13 years? How, how yes, long was he? 13, yes. 13 years and omnipresent. Just, again, one of those one of those people you thought would always be there, and it's, it's going to be strange not seeing him tweet anymore or, or cover uh, RGB Sports. Um, anyway, all the best to him. Yeah, definitely. Nate, thank you so much, sir. Take care. We'll see you down the road. Bye. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening, sports fans, to this week's episode with Nate Cotiso. Coming up next week, we will have from RGV Roller Hockey, Nate Mata, to give us a inside look of what he has to offer in, in trying to bring back hockey to the Rio Grande Valley. And don't forget to listen to us on Anchor FM and follow us on our social media platforms on facebook.com forward slash South Texas Border Sports. On Twitter, just search for Pro Sports of the RGV. And on Instagram under South Texas Border Sports.